I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yo, check out the award-winning docuseries Elementary Genocide. This docuseries provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. This docuseries features Dr. Umar Johnson, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Kaba Kamene, and so many other people. Check out Elementary Genocide, the school-to-prison pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, and the latest installment, Elementary Genocide 3, The Academic Holocaust. It's all available now at elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor, and when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news, and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back, and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is a cool of Cultivated Roots Media, and I choose to tune in to Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and power, black family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and I am here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am sitting right here with my lovely guest, Shannon, and we're going to talk about several different topics, but our first topic of discussion is the National Geographic Magazine. For those that don't know, the National Geographic Magazine issued an apology for his decade of racial betrayal of Africans. Now, my question is, what does this say about the magazine? And is this just a heartfelt apology or just sensational headlines during racial times? These and more questions are what we're going to ask as we divulge into this discussion. So, Shannon, how are you doing? I'm great, Raj. Just happy to be here at Necessary Blackness. All right. Now, one of the things I want to start with is that this is not a new phenomenon. We can go back decades, but we need to start in 1916, where National Geographic's published an article on Aboriginal Australians 
where they call them savages. And I quote, these savages rank lowest in intelligence of all human beings. Ain't that ironic? Because Africans in Africa is the blueprint and the point of all humanity, but they call us savages. I digress. Now, for those that know about the movie Tarzan, America got the idea for the movie Tarzan from National Geographics. What are your thoughts when you first read this headline about National Geographics and its racial portrayal of Africans? Uh, well, I think for a long time, I, I kind of already knew that they came from a racist slant. Uh, they had always depicted, uh, Africa, not just Africa, any country that had indigenous black people as savages, they were always naked or, uh, living in villages or huts and hunting and very, what they tried to uh, portray as primitive. But I think, um, even going even further into that is that National Geographic shares a large piece of the blame for why so many people view Africa as still being primitive. And in this magazine, they have what many may consider a heartfelt letter from the editor-in-chief, and her name is Susan Goldberg. And she talks about how the magazine ignores Black people who lived in the U.S., and only acknowledge them beyond laborers and domestic workers when we know for a fact that we are the leading scientists, engineers, and if not for Africans in the diaspora and in America, many of the luxuries that we as society enjoy today wouldn't even be possible. But I digress once again. But my main thing is, in this magazine article, they talk about the racial overtones and undertones that the magazine held and the negative betrayal of Africans since the inception of the magazine. But they never talked about the solution that's going to be put forward from here on to no longer depict those negative stereotypes. The only thing they said, and this was at the end of the article, they talked about that they hope the conversation will lead to raising awareness and that in the future, a more diverse staff will lead to diverse stories. What we have to understand is that whenever they use the word diversity, that can mean anything from Hispanics to Asians, to Caucasian white women. It pretty much says anybody except white Caucasian males. Unless you're going to have people from the diaspora, Africans telling our rich history and our story, and from our narrative, then nothing's going to change. And I will be correct in assuming that the only reason why an article of this magnitude has been published that's repudiating the racist past of this magazine is because newsstand sales is down. Everything is on the internet, and I doubt very seriously anybody's checking on nationalgeographicmagazine.com. 
And this is probably another way to show faith and to be able to sell copies. I don't mean to cut you off. What they said they were going to do was devote an entire issue to racism. Yeah, but after you have decades of forced betrayal of Africans, one issue doesn't do any justice. Right. And I already saw a problem with that because one of the ideals they were pushing was that race was a social construct, which it is. I can agree with that. But they were pushing it in a way to say that there is no differences between us. And I don't agree with that. There are differences, but there's just not the the negative differences they tried to teach us with eugenics by saying that black people and indigenous people are less intelligent or savages. There are differences that should be celebrated but they're going to come from an angle like the there's only one race, there's a human race angle. And that in itself is not true. Their history tell us that their belief is that Africans are savages and that these individuals are the lowest ranking in intelligence of all human beings. Can you believe that, family? Africa is the cradle of civilization, the mother of all humanity. But they want to let you believe that we are the lowest in intelligence. And this is not something that is new. This is something that is being propagated all across America when it comes to racism and white supremacy. For those that haven't tuned into our last week discussion, we talked about the school teacher in the state of Florida that was teaching racism and white supremacy and white nationalism to her classroom, and she was telling her students about racial superiority and how blacks had a low IQ. So National Geographic's may have reported this in their articles dating back to the 1916, but in 2018, that is the mindset of several different teachers that are teaching in the public school system. Yeah, Raheem, you made a very good point with that. Um, I think that's really the basis for a lot of uh, racist practices we have as far as the school system goes, is that this persistent ideal that black students are less intelligent than white students uh, based on these test scores, which I won't really go into that, but we already know the testing itself is flawed. So it's never going to really measure our children's true intelligence levels because it's not really designed for them to take that test. So if they are going to continue to use that as a basis, our children are always going to always going to be failing. They'll never measure up. Absolutely. Because when we look at the origin of standardized tests, we know that its origin begins with the godfather of psychology and individuals such as Mandel, who was a racist white supremacist that had the notion that you could measure a person's intelligence by IQ. And these standardized tests is what signifies a person's intelligence and they're racially biased. So you are 100% correct in that analysis of that situation. And I think what we have to do as students as parents, as teachers, is begin to teach from an Afrocentric perspective where we debunk the notion that our kids are less intelligent 
as other kids. Now, for anyone who has read Dr. Amos Wilson's book, Awakening the Natural Genius of Black Children, you will understand that African children are naturally gifted. They begin life with a natural head start. And for those that have been privy to read this book, it talks about how the natural genius is far too frequently undeveloped and misdirected. And the reason why it's misdirected is because it's not taught to our children and it's not taught by individuals that have our best interests at heart. And to go further, this book teaches us about the daily routines, child-rearing practices, and parent-children interactions, and so much more. So to understand the magnitude of racism and white supremacy and how our children are being taught in this public school system that's being run by Europeans, I employed everyone to get that book. And Shannon, you wanted to add on to that as well? I did want to add on and say um, we know the tests are are not really formulated for our kids to really uh, understand a lot of the questions. They've already come to the conclusion that the reason why white kids outperform the black kids on these tests is because the tests are geared towards them. They're, they ask questions in ways that the white students might understand because a lot of it is cultural. And um, unfortunately, it is could also be tied to nutritional factors. Uh, the foods that are available in the hoods are not uh, conducive to, uh, you know, uh, growth and development. Yeah, growth and development, uh, brain development, things like that. Uh, so there are so many other factors that come into play other than just saying, oh, the black kids are just scoring poorly. No, the black kids, unfortunately, have a lot of other obstacles that are causing them to score poorly on these tests. Because I've even seen one study where uh, there was a kid, a black kid who was scoring poorly on the test, but he had a, the highest IQ in his classroom. He was one of the most intelligent kids there, but he was scoring poorly on the test and they couldn't figure out why. And once they broke that down and figured out the kids that some kids were not responding well to these tests because of the way the wording was, because the white kids understood it in ways that the black kids did not. Absolutely. So you heard it here first on Necessary Blackness Podcast, and I am your host, Raheem Shabazz, and I'm sitting here with my lovely guest, Shannon, and we are discussing, for those that are just joining us, National Geographics and their heartfelt apologies, if you will call it that, about their racial, ambiguous portrayal of Africans and black. So stay tuned. As we go to our commercial break, and I will see you on the other side. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docuseries. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. 
Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur Emma Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. This is Shalee. When I'm not in the gym, I'm checking my son out on his podcast each and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Make sure you check out Raheem Shabazz. Yeah, this is Professor Ed Garns, founder of The Wonderful from Afros to Shell Toast and Sweet Tea Ethics. When I am not spreading liberation theology throughout my classrooms as an African-centered therapist, I am chilling with my homie, Raheem Shabazz, on the Necessary Blackness Podcast. It's essential. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. (laughs) Now our feature presentation. All right, we're back from our first commercial break. This is the Necessary Blackness podcast. And we were just discussing uh, National Geographic coming out with that public apology, which is kind of a half-hearted apology, but we do uh, appreciate them at least acknowledging that their publication has always been racist. And one of the things that I remember seeing growing up looking at National Geographic was that anytime they uh, depicted any Africans or just just indigenous people anywhere, even in Australia, uh, Alaska, wherever they found indigenous people, they always put pictures of the women with their breasts out. And I thought they would never do that to a white woman. They never put Jackie Kennedy or uh, Nancy Reagan or any of these other women that they held in high regard in anything that they felt was um, demeaning to them. But to do that to these women just because they thought they were savages or less primitive, I don't care if they were walking around that way in their villages, why would you print them like that in a, a magazine for the world to see? So I that stuck with me even as a little girl to see that with these women with their breasts out and it was always described as this is just their culture, but you're exploiting their culture. So, and that's what racism and white supremacy do. They take the negative aspect. Well, it's not really a negative aspect because that is the way indigenous people live in their village and their tribes, but they take it and use it in a negative light when they shine it in Western society. So that's something that they have done in the past and that they will continue to do. But um, no one's reading National Geographics. Uh, Any information you want to get on your culture, on your history, you can get that on the internet. So I'm going to go out and say that in five years from now, National Geographics wouldn't even be um, in existence. You know, um, the internet is the way of the world, and they have yet to capture the audience of the internet. And I think the only people that are reading National Geographics is old white people in nursing homes, and uh, you might see a copy or two in the dentist's office. Other than that, ain't nobody checking for y'all. So guess what? I gave y'all five years, but it might be the next two years. Y'all ain't even going to be in existence. So what we're going to do is we're going to move right along to our next topic of discussion, 
and we're going to talk about celebrities and their influence using social media. For those that don't know, Snapchat stocks dropped recently after Rihanna blasted them for ignorant ad. And this ad uh, mentioned Rihanna and Chris Brown and it made mockery family about the domestic violence situation that happened between them. And um, Rihanna ain't the one for it. And uh, she let it be known and she put Snapchat on blast. And the end result is Snapchat stocks dropped as much as 5%. And according to CNBC, Snapchat lost in market capitalization somewhere in the range of $600 million and $1 billion. Can you believe that, family? $600 million and $1 billion. So this goes to show you the power of social media when it involves celebrities. And I know many of y'all may remember when 50 Cent was dissatisfied with the situation concerning the Stars Network. And he went on his various social media outlets and he told his 3.26 million viewers to boycott Stars Network. And what happened, family? They came right back. And they gave him a favorable offer and everything been gravy ever since then. So I want to talk about the influence of black celebrity and social media and how we have the power now more than any time else in the past to change the narrative and to bring about change whether it's on a social justice issue or just directing people to start thinking in a different way, to change the mindset. Now, back in the days, uh, mass media was always run by corporations and they held the control. But with just 140 characters, Rihanna was able to cause financial ruin to Snapchat in the area of $600 million and $1 billion. 140 characters. What do you think about that? Um, I think the celebrities have a lot of uh, influence as far as social media goes. And Snapchat was very stupid by even posting that. Uh, it, it was definitely insensitive to domestic violence victims. But... um. Yeah, they got a lot of influence, as they should, because they are the ones that are probably getting them all the advertisement, the fact that they use those those platforms and they get people, other people to use it. And, uh, yeah, I think that was a good thing that Rihanna did. I One thing I do want to point out, though, uh, even though she has a lot of power as far as that goes to get black people to stop using Snapchat, 50 Cent might have a lot of power to get people to delete their stars account. But the... Uh, the, the thing that's most important is accumulating the black wealth and black buying power does not, um, it's not a measure of real wealth at all. So. Absolutely. There was a, a report, the coroner's report, the coroner's report. And um, I think it was the 50 year anniversary. And this report, it measured the progress of blacks 
for the last 50 years. And this report states that we haven't had no improvement in black economics in 50 years. There has been no improvement in race relationships in the last 50 years. And this report is called the Kerner's Report. It was done during racial strife in America where every city in America exploded in what they deem as riots. I call it insurrections. But this was after the um, assassination of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And um, nothing has changed as far as economic stability for blacks, as far as home ownership, as far as race relationships with the police. This is something that we're dealing with today. And you mentioned about that it's good that these celebrities have power, but it doesn't translate into economic viability for us as black people. And um, that is something that we definitely have to address because... Rihanna, I know she's a superstar on the stage. She has came out with her own cosmetic that has done exceptionally well. But um, there's more that she can do. And there's more that we need to do. And if she can utilize social media to be economically viable in her dealings and her entrepreneurial spirit, then I think we could do the same. And I think that is the key to our viability is to use social media as a platform to bring about businesses and highlight businesses, especially those that are doing what needs to be done for us as a people, especially in the black community. So we definitely need to keep that um, as something that is pertinent for us as black people. And one of the things that we also have to be mindful of is that the internet is a gift and a curse. I said it. It's a gift and a curse. You have to know how to use it to your uh, advantage. And I think 50 Cent and Rihanna use it to their advantage as far as using it as a tool to be economically viable. But besides economics, we can use it as a tool to put out the message. You know, um, several different things are on our radar. It is being talked about in national news as far as reparations. Just recently, um, Maxine Waters addressed um, a proposition that went to the uh, Congress about reparations. And one of the things she said is that, okay... We definitely need to focus on reparations, but we need to take control of the White House. We need to take control of the Senate and the Congress. Um, that can't be done without social media. Mm-hmm. Our, our election of the first black president couldn't have been possible without the advent of social media. It wouldn't have happened, family. So social media is a gift and a curse, and we got to use it for what it is and make it a gift for all of us. All right, so we're going to move to our next topic. And what we want to do is we want to switch it up a little bit. And we don't just want to talk about 
black power and empowerment for black people. We want to talk about what's going on in pop culture. And one of the things that is making headlines all across America is the situation with Meek Mills. And Meek Mills has reportedly paid out $30 million. Let me say that again. $30 million in legal fees. And he's still fighting for his freedom behind enemy lines. Now, I have read reports from the Philadelphia Inquirer that talked about the arresting officer for his initial charge is listed as the most corrupt officer in Philadelphia. So we need to examine that. And we also need to understand that the sentencing judge in his probation violation was a black woman who used her influence and power to systematically oppress another black man. Now, I know you know the story about this sentencing judge. A lot of things came out about her past and certain things she said in in the proceedings. And it just goes to show you that a lot of times we talk about racism and white supremacy and putting more black people in the position of power. But we got to be mindful of who these people are that we put in power. Because if not, it's just another black face in high places and they will use their influence and their power to systematically oppress us. Because this young brother is being held behind enemy lines by the power influence of another black woman. Yeah, that was that was so sad to read. Number one, why was he still on probation 11 years later? And for a charge he caught when he was 19. Because they get money for your probation fees. Yep. And if you violate, you go to jail. They make more money. Mm-hmm. And then $30 million from the lawyers. Mm-hmm. It's a racketeering business where that's, everyone gets paid. That's like the uh, what they used to have back in, what was that, medieval times? They had the de- debtor's prison. Oh, yeah, debt prison. Yeah. yeah. Peenage. Prison, yeah. You owe some Absolutely. money, you getting locked up. And that's a lot what like probation is. And it's like probation, most of us, we can't afford to pay the whole fine at one time. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to be on probation. And then anything you do in between that time until you pay off this fine, you're going back to jail. I think that this shows the flaws in the legal system and how it can be used for a person's personal gain. Because I don't know if... You guys know the backstory of uh, the situation surrounding Meek Mills, but the sentencing judge wanted him to make a remix what? of Boys to Men on Bending Knees and to give her a shout out. She actually brought him in the chambers and asked him and Nicki Minaj if he could do that for her. So, wow. the, the, yeah, this is a case that that is unlike any other. I did read somewhere that uh, his lawyer had accused the judge of having a crush on him. Oh, yeah, that as well. But the, the, the sad part about this is that had this been me or you, this would not have made the last page of the newspaper. Mm-hmm. But being that he got money, he got lawyers, he got influence... He's able to tell his story. 
But how many other individual stories is buried in the law books that mm-hmm. we will never read about, that we will never, that will never be discussed? Mm. And um, I think that uh, eventually Meek Mills is going to be uh, released because it is now known that his arresting judge has been listed as one of the most corrupt officers in Philadelphia. Mm. So on that grounds alone, that is a reversal on all charges being dismissed. And I just hope that the brother, when he do gets out, he becomes an advocate and uh, a social justice warrior for those that are currently confined. And as y'all know, I am an individual that was informally incarcerated. I like to refer to myself as a, a returning citizen. So this is a, a definitely a big I- issue for me. And I think that uh, Meek Mills have the voice and the power to shed light on the criminal justice system. And I hope that when he do get out mm-hmm. and he do get his sentence reversed, that he sues the hell out of these motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. So, Shannon, we was talking earlier um, off record, and you was telling me about um, a post that you had put up. But before we go to that post that she had put up, right, I want to tell y'all about Shannon. Because Shannon um, made a post, I think it was today, might have been yesterday, I don't know. But she made a post that really piqued my interest. And um, for those that are not following her, make sure you go on Facebook. And her handle is Shannon Young. And this is a direct quote from her post. Ninjas will still argue about where Jesus really existed, if black people are really Native Americans, and reason why black women wear weaves. Meanwhile, Flint will still not have clean water. The school-to-prison pipeline will still function, and the acclamation of black wealth collectively will still be stagnant. Happy Sunday, though. What's for dinner? That is phenomenal. And you know what? A lot of people commented, and it was all positivity. Because if you look at everything that she just said, it, it, it it's crazy. You know what I mean? We debating about whether... Jesus was a Jew, was he he a Hebrew, Mm -hmm. he was black, whether he was white. And all of that is not going to help us in the liberation for freedom, justice, and equality. Right. None of that, whether it be truth or falsehood, is going to help us eradicate racism and white supremacy Mm -hmm. and stopping these Neanderthals from poisoning us from the air, the land, and the water. And speaking of poison of uh, poisoning us, we spoke earlier um, off camera and while we wasn't broadcasting, and you was highlighting some things that was very pertinent um, about the United States government and their um, deceptive tactics. And what they do to poor, black, marginalized communities right? Uh, with their poison. 
And many, many, many people don't believe this. They're like, no way the government can do this. Mm -hmm. And and it always boggles the mind that people will question what the government will do and won't do when we have history that tells us about the Tuskegee Institute experiment. The father of gynecology experimenting on black women. Absolutely. When we know how they use smallpox mm-hmm. on the Native Americans. So tell me about this post, because this post, everybody's talking about it. It's on social media. Make sure y'all check her out. Shannon Young. So tell me about this post, sister. That post was basically uh, addressing when you see these chemtrails and and planes flying overhead that look like they're, I don't know what they call it. I've heard so many different explanations. Some people say it's crop dusting. Some people say it's just uh, exhaust from the plane's engine. But it looks like they're dropping stuff in the air. Well, this news report, which basically... Uh, some women have filed all these Freedom of Inf- Information Acts and got the paperwork and found this stuff that had been previously classified that showed that the government was spraying a certain chemical chemical into lower-income black neighborhoods. So what those chemicals do, we don't, I mean, who knows? They went to some uh, discussion on the video about trying to investigate what the chemicals were, but... I think, uh, I mean, one could assume these chemicals were sprayed. They're sprayed over some of the most, quote-unquote, violent neighborhoods in America, that it was something that was contributing to the violence of the black community or uh, either to the miseducation of the black community by causing problems with their endocrine system because we all know these chemicals will first get in and then move their way up to your brain. What area and city and state was this done in? That was in St. Louis, Missouri. And you were telling me earlier that St. Louis has one of the most highest murder rates in the country. Right. They were one of the most dangerous cities in the country at one point, and that was where they were spraying these chemicals. And it was also a project. Tell us about this project that it was spraying in. Give us a little uh, background on this. This was the the Pruitt-Igo projects, but they, they've torn them down now. But that was one of the original uh, housing developments that they first experimented with when they decided to put black people in the projects. That was one of the first ones. And um, there have been, like, some horror stories about this place. I, I've been... Uh, trying to go back to the original stories that I read about it, but just some of the general horror stories were how they used to turn off the lights for certain times during the day, or they would limit the amount of water consumption they could have. And um, that's why they eventually got torn down because it was considered a failure as far as the housing projects go. And they were built by two, two billionaire white men uh, by the last names of Pruitt and Igo. And that's how they got their names. But um, that was one of the places where they were spraying these chemicals, and they also had a very high crime rate. Now, in this study, in this report, was there any um, admission on the government's part about what was going on? Well, the, the journalist who uncovered it actually found out through paperwork that she filed from the government. So it was uh, stuff that had been filed under the Freedom of Information Act 
and she got it. So even though they didn't admit it, they didn't have to. She had the documents directly from them. And you know the sad part about this story is that even with her obtaining paperwork from fall requests, which is Freedom of Information Law or Act or whatever you want to call it, there's still people that will say to you, no, the government wouldn't do that. That's illegal. That couldn't happen. And there's others that will admit partially, well, that was in, what was that, the 1970s? 70s, yeah. That was in the 1970s. That couldn't happen in 2018. Are you kidding me? Mm. It's happening now. It's just that many of us are not knowing it. Mm -hmm. And then when we do know about it, it's 50, 60 years later. Mm -hmm. And same people say the same thing about the counter-intel pro that was going on mm -hmm. during the rise of the Black Panther Party. And it was years later that reports came out and talked about the government's involvement in decentralizing them and killing them and infiltrating them. The government is the enemy. And you have to be careful about your interactions with them and you don't trust them. And that's why we need to build a government of our own. And if you look at other ethnic groups and you see how they move and how they function and how they prosper in society, they have very, very little interaction with the United States government. And that's something that we need to do as a people. And the only way we can do that as a people if we take care of our own, if we stop relying on government for each and everything. So... Ladies and gentlemen, this is our conclusion of Necessary Blackness Podcast. I am your host, Raheem Shabazz, and I am sitting here with my lovely host, Shannon. And Shannon is on social media. I want y'all to check her out. She definitely be having Facebook on fire. Shannon, let everybody know where they can follow you at. You can find me under Shannon Young, because if you look me up, if we... Got you as a friend in common. It's, I'll probably come up first. Yeah, so go to my page and then search for Shannon Young. And make sure that you tune in each and every Wednesday right here on Necessary Blackness Podcast. For those that are iPhone users, you can get us on iTunes. For those that have Androids, you can check us out on Google Play. Just put in Necessary Blackness Podcast. And... If you're on Spreaker, you can also check us out. And we also are available through 12 other different affiliates. Just type us in in your podcast app and you will see us. Necessary Blackness Podcast. My name is Raheem Shabazz. This is Shannon Young. And we will see you same time next week at 6 p.m. This is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Peace and black power, family. Peace, family.